So what are we going to do with this? <laughs> Why does God tell us these little details? Do you need help navigating through life? Well, you know, God's word, his truth, his counsels recorded for us to help us walk through life well. His word's unfailing, it's timeless, it's an amazing resource. Peter, in his letter, second letter, wrote this about standing firm in the Lord and, and, and gaining ground in our faith. And he made no apology because he repeated things that he had said earlier. And here's what he wrote in the first chapter as he began his letter. Speaking about Christ and God, he said, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who has granted to us great and precious promises, so that through them, through these promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world, and for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and then the list goes on, and add to your knowledge this, and to add to that more of this, and he goes on and on. At the end of his letter, and this is the verse that's in the bulletin, by the way, kind of our theme verse for the day, he ends with, with these thoughts. In light of all that Jesus has done for you, done for the world, in light that this world is going to be destroyed by fire and it's going to be replaced with a new heaven and new earth, what are we to do? Well, we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Acts actually is helping us in these verses with a big picture and a small picture of what we are to be busy doing, growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, along the way, and how we can help the body of Christ grow, the big picture, the church universal, the church all around the world, and how we can help an individual, like Apollos, grow too. An impossible task. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. The psalmist writes in Psalm 127. Zechariah reminds us that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So this morning, I just real quickly want to look at verses 18 through 23. We're going to be looking at the big picture. It's just uh, acts as a whole summary of early church history. But this is even a smaller summary of Paul's ministry, and we see how Paul's investment in the church has fruit because he's doing what God wanted him to do. And that's the question for you and me. Are we a part of the big picture? Are we busy doing what God wants us to do? And then there's a the smaller picture. We zero in on the story of Apollos, and it shows us how God can help us meet individual needs and help them grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's gain some ground through God's word together today. First, we want to look at helping the church grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, gaining ground. And we see Paul's part, and, 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 and Brother David read this, uh, Paul's part in God's bigger story. And this is really, Luke is brief in Acts. I mean, everything we read is a summary 
like the sermons aren't full sermons here, by the way, um, or anything like that. Paul is doing his part. And it says in verse 18 that in, Paul stayed in, in Corinth many days. And we don't even know how long those days are. But this young church had been protected by Galileo's pronouncement. We talked about that last week. So that the church was protected. They weren't going to be overly persecuted by the Jews that, uh, that hated the church of Christ, the body of Christ. So Paul and Aquila and Priscilla felt comfortable leaving them and moving on in ministry. We don't even know if Silas and Timothy stayed behind. We just don't know. We also read in verse 18 that Paul had taken a vow. At Sancria, he had his hair cut. So he took a Nazarite vow. We don't even know what the vow was about. We just know that somehow, somewhere, Paul had probably asked God for intervention. God, I will give you praise. I will take a vow. I will cut my, I'll grow my hair and then I will cut it short and I will go to the temple and make a public profession, a public testimony to say that God protected me, intervened in my life. I kept my promises and he especially kept his promise for his honor and glory. He was going to worship God in the temple and he was on his way there. So he had his hair cut in Sancria. That hair needed to be presented at the temple to fulfill his vow. Burnt on the offering along with other uh, blood sacrifices to fulfill this vow. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 6. We will not take time to read all that today. But you can do that. Do a little research. So Paul's busy doing what God wants him to do. And don't think it's strange that Paul, a Jew but who's going to the Gentiles takes a Nazarite, a Jewish vow, because he's a Hebrew of Hebrews and he's a Jew who's a follower of the true Messiah. There's no hypocrisy here. He's following the law as a good Jew. And we read then in verses 19 through 21 that he goes to Ephesus and he left them there, that is Aquila and Priscilla, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a long period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And when he had finished, excuse me, when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. And then he went down to Antioch, and after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the regions of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Hundreds and hundreds of miles covered in a sentence, at least half a year, several months, many months. He went to Jerusalem. He went up to the church. You always go up to Jerusalem because no matter where you are, you have to go up to Jerusalem. Then he went to back to Antioch, Antioch of Syria, where he started, where he got his call as a Gentile missionary. He was at the church there. And then without any fanfare, he begins his third missionary journey. And that's all wrapped up in verse 22. Flying through, Luke just covers these things. So what does he want us to know? Well, he mentions these things because it just shows us what Paul's up to, how he's fulfilling his call to go and make disciples wherever he goes and start churches, bodies of people, people of Christ, to grow in the grace and knowledge of him.
He mentions Ephesus, Luke does in Acts, because he, Ephesus, he's going to come back to it in chapter 19 when we get to it again in the fall, because that's an outstanding and influential church. There's two letters to the, those Christians there. One was written by Paul and one was given by Jesus in Revelation chapter 2. Ephesus is a representative church. Shows us how high we can go and how we can get off track in our mission for Christ. So Paul begins to retrace his steps. And here in Acts, we see the strategic plan of God for his people and for Paul and his co-workers to build the church. Have a few questions for us this morning. This is personal application time. So Paul is busy. He always has a team of people, it seems, going with him. We don't know if anyone was traveling with him now, but it's rare for Paul to travel alone unless he has to because he's running for his life. So who is on your ministry team? Is it your spouse? some friends at Grace Chapel or other believers from other congregations, who are you teamed up with taking the gospel, taking the good news of Christ to help people come to faith in him and grow in faith in him? Who is your team that you're working with to spread the gospel? Teams think, teams plan, they speak about Jesus Christ. You know, planning is really important. The Church of Christ needs organization so that children's ministry is done, so teen ministry is done, so adults gather together and grow. There needs to be organization. So if you're an organizer, we need your help. The Church of Christ needs your help. But we also need everyone to be speaking, taking part in speaking about Jesus to others and learning more themselves. It's kind of interesting in chapter 18 here in verses 20 and 21 that the, the Jews in Ephesus in the synagogue were open to what Paul was saying and they asked him to stay longer and he declined. But he said on taking leave, he said, I will return if it's God's will. Paul knew his role. And he planned on coming back. So he was making plans. He knew his call was to build up and disciples and to make disciples. Do you know where you fit in? And are you fitting in and part of a team to spread the gospel? And you can ask God's help to get in line with what God wants you to do. So I ask us again, are you a part of a team that's taking the gospel and building up believers and making new believers. If God's will wills, I'll be back. So Paul was planning, he was thinking, but he always laid his plans out before the Lord. I appreciate so much that so many of you don't just check in on Sunday morning at 1045 and then check out at noon or close to noon and then are not involved in anyone else's life for Christ the rest of the week until you check back in the next Sunday. There are so many older brothers and sisters in Christ here who are, well, they're older than me, so they're really old, okay? They're retired, 
but they haven't checked out. They're checked in and they're still serving Christ and making new disciples and building up disciples in the faith. You know what? They need your help if you're not involved in a team. Come alongside them and be a part of it, actively helping people gain ground in the faith. And there's so many behind the scenes people here, you greeters, you security people, you planner, you organizers, thank you for your work, but just be sure you're part of the team that's speaking and helping others grow in their faith. You growing too. Let's dream. Let's plan. Let's say, Lord, if you will, let's use this restaurant connection in our community for greater things. What more can we do to build up our community? Lord, give us ideas, help us. These community touches, life groups, home groups, whatever you want to call them, when we worship together, ways to make it easy for people to get plugged in here, to know and rub shoulders with believers to grow. How can we do it better? Lord, if it's your will, help us to do this. Let's pray together and do that. We can help the church gain ground. It's pretty evident I'm no Apostle Paul. But by Christ's design, we can be invested in growing and helping the church grow in grace and knowledge of Christ. Are you in step with the Holy Spirit today? In your part in helping that happen. And what will you do to get in step? Is there something you can do? Is the Lord stirring some thoughts in your minds recently about what we should be doing here as a, as a local church? I know there's a lot of good things and ideas starting to percolate little seeds that have been planted that are starting to grow, ideas about getting out into our community again. Maybe the Spirit's kind of convicting you that you're not as involved as you could be or should be. Or maybe you're getting excited about all the possibilities. Well, then talk to someone. Don't keep it to yourself. Share the ideas. Begin to pray about it together so that we can build up the church, the big picture together. God has a part for us here. Believe it when Jesus says that his people by his power can overcome the gates of hell. Right now, in our time and place, through Christ and his power, we can overcome the powers of hell that are against him and all the people that he's calling out to salvation. You know, you overcome hell when we live and speak the gospel in our daily lives. You're overcoming the power of hell through the help and strength of Christ. So we can help the disciples gain ground in the big picture in the local church. But then in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through the end of the chapter, verses 28, we see this focus in on Apollos, the smaller picture of helping an individual gain ground in his life. So Luke introduces us to Apollos. And by helping one person grow, Aquila and Priscilla, or maybe I should reverse the order because Luke does Priscilla, and Aquila, the woman and the man, were helping the whole church grow by helping one person grow. Ever thought about that? Maybe you've heard the story about the guy who, 
who, who brought someone to church, who believed in Christ, who got saved, who taught a Sunday school class, who did this and that, and eventually Billy Graham heard the gospel and believed. Because one person touched one person who touched one person who God used to touch hundreds of thousands of people with the gospel. Who's to say there's not someone else like Billy Graham here among us or near us? Apollos, it's a small and short discipleship story. What do we know about Apollos? Well, he was a Jew from Alexandria. Alexandria is a city in Egypt. As a matter of fact, Alexandria was to become a Christian center in the second and third centuries of the early church and, and later on. And, it, and it, it's kind of like when you're from Alexandria, it was an educated town. It was a high class town. It's kind of like saying somebody went to an Ivy League school. And we all kind of go, oh, okay. They're an Ivy League grad. Harvard, Yale, University of Penn, Cornell. There's another one I'm forgetting. Harvard. <laughs> Eloquent. Learned man. Competent in the scriptures. He knew the Old Testament. He was a Jew who had been instructed and probably because he was a learned man, he instructed himself. He studied himself. He knew the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he was excited, he was fervent, he was dedicated to teaching this message about the truth, about the coming Messiah. He only knew, but it says in verse 25, he only knew the baptism of John, that is the baptism of John the Baptist. So he knew about Christ, he knew about the Messiah's coming, but we're not sure what he did and didn't know about Jesus Christ. But what he did know, he taught fervently. He was a sharp man. He was eloquent in speech. He was a fantastic teacher and preacher. And people were intrigued by him. And he drew attention. And he knew the scriptures. He knew Isaiah chapter 53. Speaking of God's servant, speaking of Jesus Christ before he came as a prophesying about him. Isaiah wrote, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He's describing Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Truth in the gospel of Isaiah. He was powerfully declaring it, but there were gaps in what Apollos knew and understood. So it's wonderful, isn't it? What do you do with someone who's excited, who's fervent in spirit, who, who loves God, who wants people to know what they know about this great God and Savior, and yet there's a gap? Well, Priscilla and Aquila some of Paul's helpers, what did they do? They took him aside, 
a woman named Priscilla. The word order has changed, by the way, and I don't want to make a big deal about it because I might get in trouble, but it's clear that Priscilla took the lead in this Bible study. Her husband was there, but it's pretty evident the woman took the lead in explaining. Maybe she just had a handle on the truth, and she explained the truth to Paulus alongside her husband, Aquila. And it helped him grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ so he could be a more effective teacher. Have you ever been excited about something you learned, about something new information that changed your life, especially when we're thinking about God and Jesus Christ? So excited you, you could hardly express it. I have one of the one of many, but one unforgettable life-changing moment in my life happened the summer after I graduated from high school. I went to Ocean City, New Jersey for about 10 weeks of discipleship, intense Bible study, sharing my faith on the boardwalk and in a coffee house on weekends. And I, I just grew like like my faith just grew like amazing that summer. I, I, I became a changed kind of guy. And people started to nudge me and say, Matt, you ought, to, you ought to think about going to Bible college. Well, I had other ideas about college. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was so excited thinking, about, I'm going to go back go to my youth group and I want to tell them all I've learned and I've experienced and just share. I was so excited and I was mopping the floor in a a nursing home. I was working in the kitchen a part-time job to pay my rent and to pay for my food that I had at the place I was staying in the ministry and it suddenly hit me. You don't know anything about the Bible. You're so excited. You're so, but you hardly know anything. And it was right then, it's, you know, it's one of those moments, it's a burning bush moment for me, if you know what I mean with Moses. It was like, you need to go to Bible college. And my heart was set on that, and I knew that's what God wanted me to do. That's not a regular thing that happens in my life, but it's one of those moments that it became clear what God wants you to do. I don't know, if, and that hasn't happened a lot in my life, but I do know what God wants us to do. We do know what God wants us to do. And it, it's in that moment when God makes things clear that you don't be afraid to take the step to move out and do it. So what about us? People were encouraging me to think about Bible college and I was resisting and suddenly God used those people and his spoke in that moment as I was wrestling with it and it was like, boom, it's time to go. So what about us? Implications because Apollos was a sharp, eloquent speaker. He was fascinating. He was intriguing. And he was willing to learn. So how about you? Are you willing to learn, to learn more about Christ, to grow in grace and knowledge, to, to up it up, to, to, to admit that you do, humbly admit that you, uh, others need to teach you because you don't know everything you need to know. Not afraid to admit that you have gaps. 
That's a great quality that Apollos had. This eloquent, great teacher could have just said, oh, I don't need any help, I'll figure it out on my own. And he was willing to be instructed. And I also note how Priscilla and Aquila, uh, they, they, how they handled him. They took him aside. They didn't call him out to embarrass him or to act superior, but they just wanted to build him up. And by building Apollos up, they were building up the Church of Christ in Ephesus, in Corinth, and all around the empire probably because of this great man and what he was going to be doing and teaching. Apollos was a gifted speaker. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we read these verses about him. Paul speaking of Apollos, he was in Corinth and a teacher there. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? There were these fan clubs. And what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you've believed that the Lord has assigned. I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So here's this guy who had a fan club, a cult of followers. <laughs> Wasn't his fault. He was just being used by God but in a great way to build up that church. He was using a disciple who didn't have Jerusalem roots, but different roots to grow the church of God. So in thinking about Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila, let me just ask you this. Are you taking any steps to be instructed by others like Apollos did? And are you willing to hear that and accept it? To grow in the grace and knowledge and skills and living and speaking Jesus' good news. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's an imperative. In other words, that's a command. It's not an option. It's something we are to do. It's an imperative. And by the way, it happens to be in the present active indicative. It's a verb. It's an action word. So what does that mean? <laughs> it means it's an ongoing process. It's something that's be happening all the time, not just a once in a lifetime thing, not just a seminar once in a while or church once in a while where you study the Bible, but it's an ongoing process. Something we give attention to regularly. So how are you doing? So each of us, those of us who have believed, we have a responsibility to do that for ourselves. But then we have a responsibility to do it for someone else. So who is it that God might be stirring in your heart to come alongside and to help grow in their understanding of who Jesus is and, and why he died, why he had to die for our sins? How we can't cover over our sins without his forgiveness and his grace and his life in us. Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? And like Paul and Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos, has God given you talents that you were given with at birth? And how are you using them for his honor and glory? to build up the church, to build up the kingdom, to help some individual along the way. One person that might impact the church around the world in ways you don't know. God's calling and asking you to do that in some small way, in some little way. But discover your gifts, understand your talents and abilities and exercise them. Grow. 
have a new attitude. Let God's word change you. Spend time with Jesus so you know him, so you act more like him. We're enabled by God's power and grace and the spirit's strength to do this. We seek to teach the scriptures accurately. So one human is changed, one mind, one heart at a time. It's not just a few followers, but a whole body that's supposed to be doing this. Are we investing in it as we should? And what are you going to do to move ahead? How can we together help one another gain ground? What would you like to do for Christ this week? What would you like to see happen among the believers, the church of Havertown, not just Grace Chapel, but Havertown this week? How can we help that happen? Are we investing in it as we should? I I already mentioned this. There are so many fresh ideas starting to happen here. It's invigorating. New faces are coming here. That's invigorating. What is it that God would have us do? Opportunities to talk about, to be a part of, to invite others into the conversation, to just begin to think together, to talk about God's word and to grow together, and how it's changing us and how it can change others. Just speaking in dialogue with one another in conversation. You see, Jesus is building his church. And he's inviting you and me to be a part of it. And it takes people like you and me to invest in it. That's how God works. He works with women and men and uses them to grow, to strengthen, so his church gains ground. Because it is gaining ground and we can be a part of it. Do you understand what it means to be a believer or a follower of Jesus Christ? John wrote this in his gospel, the, the Apostle John. Familiar verses to many of us. Speaking of Jesus, it says he came to his own. That is, Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you know what it means to be a follower of Christ? No one's born a Christian. As a matter of fact, we're separated from God. Our sins separate us from a holy God. We're unfit to be in his, live in his presence, to serve him well. But Jesus came and died for our sins to make a way so that when we believe in him, just simply believing in him, he promises that those who turn to him is to be their leader, their king, their Lord, that he will give them new life and he will forgive them of their sins and he will begin to change them. To be a follower of Jesus means you just personally make a decision. You surrender to him. You believe in him. And then you begin to learn of him and follow him. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you know what it means to be a follower? Maybe you do. But you haven't been gaining much ground lately. You've been kind of stagnant or sitting still. Let's talk together about how we can help one another grow in the knowledge of Christ. 
let's start asking questions of one another. You know, there are a lot of ministry leaders here that you could say, how can I get more involved? There are women and men who would be glad to sit down with you that lead different ministries here. There's a contact card. You can fill that out. You can send an email to the church office. You can send an email to me. You can send an email to the elders. You can send an email to the deacons. It's in the bulletin. Just send us an email and say, how can I help? Music people, how can I help? Maybe I can help. Someone would be glad to talk with you about it. You know, God desires nothing more than this. That people that he created in his image and people that he knows by name understand what it means to find life in Christ. And we can be a part of that. God uses growing people to help others experience that life. There are people around you and me that are waiting to be told what it means to know and love Christ. And God's going to move in their hearts. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray today, Lord Jesus, that your church, your people, that you will help us always to be gaining ground in our faith, our walk with you, that you will help us to follow you, to love you more, and to remember that the strongest powers that the world has or that even hell has cannot stop the church from growing. Oh Lord, give us a deeper thirst to know you, to be hungry, to know you, and to share what we know about you to others so they can come along with us and learn and know and understand more about your great love and your forgiveness and the new life you give. Lord, we pray this for your honor and glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that you will be lifted up. In the name of Christ, we pray this and ask it. Amen.